wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in, the sheep, in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravaging, but I'm sorry, by inwardly ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This is the word of the Lord. We'll uh, reference that verse here in just a little bit. You may have a seat. Sorry. You now may officially have a seat. We're a little off this morning. The man, we had us a, a, a camping trip, as you most of you know, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I want to say a big thanks to Brian and all the team that's on our men's ministry team who planned that. Thankful for those guys. They did a wonderful job. Gabe did a fantastic job in our men's devotion on Friday night. We shot some guns. We ate some meat. We talked about Jesus. We built brotherhood. It was awesome. Um, there may or may not, I cannot confirm or deny that there was a potato gun available. Uh, I cannot confirm or deny that I was the, a product of a deacon in our church, um, and, uh, but we had a good time. It was fantastic. We had 21 men total who, had, who participated throughout the week, and that was just amazing, and so these guys, just want to say a big thanks to those guys, and the rest of you will see you next time, right? It's going to be great. It's going to be a good time, and I know they're hard at work and working on the next thing, and it's going to be, uh, I really appreciate them. And our women's ministry team, who have got some things coming up as well. We just want to thank you. This is part of what, what means to be a church, is creating these environments where we connect meaningfully together in various ways, and it's, we believe this is part of what God calls us to do as his people. Now, um, with that said, let's move into the idea that I want to talk about this morning, and I said earlier that I want to talk about from 12 through 14, and I'll tell you why here in a minute, um, the, the allure and enticement of false teachers and how even we today need to be on guard for these kinds of things. Let me give you an example um, of an individual many of us are probably familiar with. Most of us are familiar with P.T. Barnum. Yes, you might know a little bit of his story. His story became popular again through the, uh, and came into the limelight again through Hugh Jackman who donned his likeness in a popular musical movie slash called The Great Greatest Showman. Now, I have a confession. I haven't watched that. Oh, my goodness, people. Come on. I haven't. Oh, my gosh. So that's going to be the thing. That's going to be the thing you remember when we leave here this morning, isn't it? Yeah, I get it. I get it. All right. Um, I don't like musicals. Sorry, I just don't like them. There are a few I like every once in a while, but I don't like musicals. Y'all need a minute? Do y'all need a minute? I feel like y'all need a minute. Do we need a minute here? I think we do. All right. Um, but the reality is, is, is positive of the spin that they try to put on P.T. Barnum in that movie, 
they kind of made him like a lovable con man, a lovable huckster, right? But he's not, he wasn't really that way. He actually had a, quite a reputation of being a man who, was, uh, who manipulated people for business ventures. He, he believed with all his heart that the way to really honestly control or, or if you want to say influence people was through entertainment and through showmanship. And of course, this is where his ultimate end was. Of course, he ended up being in politics as well for a brief period. But he, knew, he believed that um, the primary way you gained influence over people was, his, was the idea of captivating people's imaginations and captivating people. And they would then bypass a lot of different ideas just because the show was so entertaining. Does that sound familiar at all today? Like we live in a world where we just tend to be so captivated, but we don't really pay attention to the very things that we're listening to and hearing. Well, P.T. Barnum was, was one of the men committed to this idea. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm, just, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him, but in fact, there's a very interesting idea um, out there, a very interesting connection between him and a uh, popular religious leader named Joseph Smith who started the, LDT, uh, um, the Latter-day Saints Church or the Mormon Church. There's an interesting connection there if you want to go back and do a little bit of work on that for yourself. But the main idea here is capturing the imagination, uh, getting people to be distracted by entertainment and showmanship and charisma and all these kinds of things is not something that, would, that it was invented in his time. It's something that's actually kind of run through the human genome all the way through. We love to be captivated by good and compelling leaders, entertainers, whatever they may be. It's why sports are such a big deal. It's why Hollywood's such a big deal. It's why movies are such a big deal. And listen, this is not an, this is not an indictment on any of those things. You know, we can enjoy these things, but it is an indictment on any of us who would be undiscerning in the way in which we, we, we take in these kinds of mediums, right? Barnum knew something of the core, I believe, of the human heart. It was that we like to be entertained. We like to be captivated. We like for someone else to do the heavy heater header for us and so that we can just say, well, I'm with that guy. We do this in the church. We do it often in the church. Um, and so the point I wanna, I wanna, I'm using that for to bounce us into this morning is simply this. False leaders and false teachers and hucksters and all the alike have one thing in common. They know how to play gullible, our, our, our gullibility. They know how to play against our gullibility. They understand how easy it is for us to fall into these places and just say, well, that's compelling, so I'm going to become one of their disciples now. I'm going to become one of their crew. I'm going to become one of their fanboys in some capacity. And throughout the scriptures, we see the same idea that, that, that God continues to, to um, reveal to Israel is that he says, you're listening to false prophets. There was a whole bunch of false prophets who were authorized by the king and whatever, and they're the official speakers for, for, the, for the kings. And these were not people that God himself had sent to speak. And God oftentimes, through the very prophets he does inspire, say, don't listen to those guys. But you know why people listen to them? Well, you know what? We're going to find out this morning. We're going to look at why people tend to listen to folks like that and not listen and rest and stand and be comforted by the very message and the very uh, 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 gifts that we have been given in God's word about who Jesus is. So here's the main idea this morning. Christians must be on guard against the allure and enticement of false teachers who tickle the ear with things we want to hear but distort the gospel with sleight of hand. Okay, that's, that's the main idea here, right? 
Christians, we are susceptible, just like everyone else is, to enjoying people tickling our ears, and then the gospel gets manipulated sleight of hand. It's kind of pulled out before we know it. And there's some, and listen, I have my opinions about some, some folks on this, and we can, we can get into that, but, but the reality is this is a very big deal in our day. It really is. The gospel gets so hazed, it gets so cloaked by every other wind of doctrine. Paul talks about this in his own epistles. Don't be captivated by every wind of doctrine. So last week we covered this central point of Ezekiel up to this point, and actually it's the whole central point of Ezekiel. And it was namely this, that God's kingdom carries on. And he carries on because wherever his people are, his exilic people, and we said this last week, that this is what God's people are. We are a perpetually exilic people. We don't have a home here. We're never supposed to have a home here. It was never, well, the home itself is in rebellion and sin and destruction because of what happened in the garden. And Jesus is coming back and he will establish his new kingdom and his new, his new heavens and his new earth. And so we are perpetually an exilic people. And you can kind of run this through the scriptures and see this. You see this in, 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 in Abraham who calls his people out of the home to a place he will show them. You see this in, as God sends them to Egypt who are not, Egypt's not their home. And he sends them out into the wilderness, and he's pointing them towards home, but his home is supposed to be a rep, uh, um, uh, reflective of a better and truer home that's to come. We see this in Daniel's own message. We see this in Ezekiel's own message while, these, while God's people are in exile in Babylon. And then we see this, of course, the apostles speak up these issues. We talked about this in our first Peter study. We said all this last week, just so everyone kind of gets this back in their hand, that, that what makes us, helps us comfort us is that we understand that God's kingdom carries on, but primarily... Through God's exilic people, whom, with whom God has sanctuaries. That's what, that was the main point last week, was God's sanctuaries with these exilic people. He's not with us. He doesn't reside in temples and, and, and homes and cities and governments and whatever else. He resides with a people whom he has saved, and he promises a sanctuary with us. And this people is a multinational, multi-ethnic, uh, uh, multi-everything people, because that, that's global. It's a global people. And it, and, it, and it obviously exists in different forms in different places. And it's so easy for us to begin to kind of recenter the gospel message and mission into all these other issues and rather and then forget that we're an exilic people and then we're not defined by any time, space, or continuum until Jesus himself comes back and establishes the new heavens and new earth. That was our main idea that we tried to kind of unpack a little bit last week. Now, by understanding this, I believe we're more equipped, better equipped, to stand on the promises of God both now and into the future so long as Jesus tarries. I believe that with all my heart. Now, why then, what, how does that help us step into the next section of our study in Ezekiel? Well, over the next section of our study in Ezekiel, chapters 12 through 24, Jesus is, I mean, I'm sorry, the Spirit through Ezekiel is going to show God's people why he has been judging Israel. And he goes into some specific things that have caused God's people to fall into that judgment. And he's going to specifically center on Israel. Then we're going to, after those three weeks, we're going to be dealing with God judging the nations. And then after that, we'll God judging the temple again or Jerusalem again. So these next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking three, I don't think three, um, three areas that God wants his people, the people in exile to remember as they're continuing to live in exile and continue to move on, as they're waiting for this new heavens, new earth to come, he's, he wants you to be aware that the three main dangers that can land them in that place again if they're not careful. Number one, we must be aware, and this is what we're covering chapters 12 through 14, 
we must be aware of false teachers, false prophets, specifically of the brand that we saw in Matthew 7, who wear sheep's clothing. They, are, they look like us. They teach like us, obviously, with, uh, with error. They look like we are, like they, they're part of the Christian thing because they have great and new insights about things, but they are not us. So that's the first thing we're going to see today. Second, next week, we're going to be aware of the fact that we are so prone to neglect justice, and I mean biblical justice here, okay, and how God wants his people to live in that realm. Ezekiel deals with that greatly, and we'll deal with that then. And then third, we will then at the end talk about why and how we often can fall into apostasy. That will be our third week, okay? So this morning, we're going to deal with this first topic that I believe God's using Ezekiel to remind his people of, as they now are God's people and what he is sanctuarying with, he wants them to remind them through Ezekiel, beware of false teachers. Beware of false teaching. And there's three markers I want us to consider this morning, I'll go ahead and give them to you up front if you want to follow. I have them in kind of question form in the little guide there, but I'm going to go ahead and give them to you in the way that I'm going to preach through them this morning. First of all, consider the markers that make us susceptible to false teaching. So there's markers that make us susceptible. We need to be aware of what they are. We're going to see this in chapter 12. Then we're going to look at the markers of a uh, help us identify false teachers. So what are false teachers and some of the markers that come along with them? And then last, we will look at um, consider the markers of true biblical discernment. What, what do we need in order to fend ourselves off against those kinds of, of things, okay? So that's where we're going to head this morning. Let's consider this first marker, the markers that make us susceptible to false teachers. I'm just going to pick up in chapter 12. We're going to read chapter 12, 21 through 28, since we haven't read in Ezekiel yet. This is where I'm going to probably take my ideas from. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, what is this proverb you have, you have about the land of Israel, which goes, the days keep passing on and every vision fails? Therefore say to them, this is what the Lord God says, I will put a stop to this proverb and they will not use it again in Israel, but say to them, the days have arrived, as well as the fulfillment of every vision. For there will no longer be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel." But I, the Lord, will speak whatever message I will speak, and I will be, and it will be done. It will no longer be delayed, for in your days, rebe- your days, rebellious house, I will speak a message and bring it to pass. This is a declaration of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, and notice that the house of Israel is saying, the vision that he sees concerns many years from now. The pro- um, he prophesies about distant times. Therefore say to them, this is what the Lord God says, none of my words will be delayed any longer. The message I speak will be fulfilled. This is the declaration of the Lord. Now what's happening here in this passage? Well, it's very simply this. God's people over a time period had heard all the promises of God, 170 years if you go back and read through Amos, and they had just grown dull. They had just grown to the point that we were wondering whether or not this is actually going to come to pass or perhaps it's something that's so far distant in the future. So therefore, they get immersed in their present moment. They get immersed in their own present needs and they forget about the grand purposes of God. And therefore, God says, one of the reasons you've landed yourself in this place of judgment is because, and one of the reasons why you are so susceptible to false teachers is because you really have neglected what I have taught you. What I have said to you, what I have said will come to pass. And so you're saying things like, like what we found in verse 22, the days keep passing by and every vision fails. So they were like, this thing going to happen. 
None of this is going to happen. None of this is going to happen from their mindset. Well, when we go back down to, uh, to um, verse 27, the vision that he sees concerns many years from now, and he prophesies about this in time. So they, they didn't really believe that any of this stuff was imminent, that God's judgment was imminent, or that God, what God said was going to happen was imminent. So they took it for granted, and they just kind of settled themselves into this nice little happy space, comfortable space as God's people, all the while taking, taking for granted what it means to worship God, be his people, his distinct people among all the nations. This is what's happening. So what we find here, one of the markers we find here, as I just I mentioned a minute ago, is just spiritual coldness. Spiritual coldness. Spiritual dullness. This made Israel susceptible to false prophets in their day. Friends, it's the same thing for us. We get so accustomed to just being part of this system that we forget that there's something powerful and something rich and something spiritually nourishing about it. And so what we find is, oftentimes, in our spiritual coldness and dullness, three reactions kind of end up happening in our dullness. And this is why false teachers are so powerful, because they, 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 they take a hold of some of these things in our spiritual dullness. And one of the ways that our spiritual dullness shows forth is in kind of a, 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 a I would might call, you might call it the liberal drift, maybe, like a, spirit, a Protestant liberalism or whatever else. The, they kind of reject some of these things as kind of nonsense. So, like, take it out of our context. The Sadducees would have been kind of in this context in, in Jesus' day. The Sadducees would have been the Protestant liberals, if you will, of, of Jesus' day. The Pharisees would have been the fundamentalists. They would have been the ones who were far right here, and they were always saying, this is what you got to do. This is a new legalist, right? And then Sadducees were like, nah, it doesn't really matter. Resurrection's not a big deal. It's all just imagery. It's all just, you know, it's just all story. Well, this is one of the ways in which God's people are, reflect their spiritual dullness, is that we just kind of dismiss important parts of God's word, and we just say, eh, it may or may not be true, but it's not that big a deal, right? We just kind of do this without paying attention to it. The second way we show our spiritual dullness is that kind of a, it's, a, it's almost like a middle ground between them and what we're seeing the third point of legalism or fundamentalism is that we kind of fall in this place of kind of nominalism. So like we just, where the, where the first one is just kind of a rejection of scriptural truth or, you know, a, a suspicion of, 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 of spiritual truth or theological truth. The nominalist says, oh, I believe it, but it virtually makes no impact on my life. It makes no impact on the way I see the world. I just kind of, I live, as some people say, uh, effectively as, a, as, a, as a, you know, an atheist, a functional atheist. Now, atheist is not a person who doesn't believe in God, by the way. An atheist is someone who says, I can't really know God. Atheist. Meaning, I can't really know that there's a God who objectively speaks and reveals himself in the world. So we functionally live like that. Nominal. That's what nominalism actually is. Excuse me. Derek Thomas, who wrote a, wrote a great commentary on Ezekiel, says this. These two responses, talking about these first two, more or less summarize the reaction given to God's word by many today. Some are quite open in their hostility to it. They look around and suggest the Bible has no relevance to their life, way of life. Its warning and threats are rejected. Others loathe to be openly hostile. They give lip service to the truthfulness of what the Bible says. They 
They are careful not to believe in in such a way that it affects the way they live. They keep its teachings at arm's length. They are not prepared to reject it entirely, though. They dismiss the Bible, though, by giving it faint praise. Of the two conditions, the latter is probably worse. it, It has no character of spiritual life. There's another third one, though, and I've already mentioned it before. It's that tendency to add, like God's word's not enough. This is the pharisaical way of doing it. In order to prove you are one of God's people, you have to add things to it. So for them, it was like when they saw, it says God, put your, they said, put your word in, on their foreheads, the long guys on your foreheads, they actually literally built these little phylacteries boxes, and they would put God a little little notes in there, and that's, like, that, that's how they take it, and they add to God's word and say, if you're not doing this, you're not legit. Like, you're not spiritually legit. It's a new fundamentalism. And fundamentalism takes different shapes and forms throughout history, particularly church history. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about fundamentalism because I think it's a problem today that's as much as a problem as liberalism, and we'll talk about it here in a second. Now, where do these things begin to arise in our lives? Do they not arise a lot of times in seasons of crisis, cultural upheaval? I have to believe, and if we look at this sociologically, this is when these things begin to take foothold in our life. Because we see crisis in the world, or our crisis in our lives, or we see cultural upheaval in our lives in some capacity, and all of a sudden, these crises or these cultural upheavals reveal something that's really deeply in our heart, these fears that are in our hearts. And what do our fears reveal? Our idols. They reveal what we really love and what we really depend on and what we put our weight on. And so it's in these seasons of crisis and cultural upheaval that we see the rise of these new progressive spins on the Christian faith like the liberals do, right? But we also see new forms of fundamentalism that creep into the church. And friends, I would just say, I think both of these are equally dangerous. Just because one says they believe the Bible more than the other, doesn't mean that what they're believing about the Bible and how they're teaching the Bible is any help to the church at all. I've lived in this world. And it's not a helpful world. It does not help us see Jesus. See, false teachers prey on this and stoke the fires with what? Fear-mongering. In our day, council culture. And council culture runs both directions. Outrage culture. This is where false teachers, they, 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 they prey on our fears. They prey on our idols. They prey on our fear about economics. They prey on our fears about what's happening to our great nation. They prey on our fears about when it comes to, like, what does it mean for my, my family and, and who we are and our identities. They prey on these things, and they make a shipwreck of our souls if we don't stay steady in Christ. Now that leads us into the second point. Speaking on false teachers, we must consider the markers of false teachers. What markers help us identify who these people are? Well, the first thing I want to say, and I think it goes back to Matthew 11, it's hard to identify. It says right there in that text, these people, they're in my fold. They're wearing sheep's clothing. 
They seem legit. They seem like powerful teachers of God's word. They seem like they got their theology all good and centered. And, and, and we are not aware that what they're doing is just suddenly slipping in all these gospel plus ideas and then slowly pulling the gospel out from under us. What did I say about that with P.T. Barnum? Same idea. This is what spiritual leaders do. They, they, they distract us with a lot of other things. They play on our fears and they not intentionally or unintentionally, they begin to pull the gospel out from under us. And so we see that in Matthew 7. They wear sheep's clothing. So sometimes it's just hard because 90% of what a teacher might say it seems so legit. And it's a problem. But Matthew 7 says, let's just read it ourselves. This is what Jesus' instruction is to his people in light of these false teachers you can recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No good fruit. Every good tree produces good fruit and every bad tree produces bad fruit. Good trees can't produce bad fruit and bad trees can't produce good fruit. Our doctrine and our devotion matter. And you must be wise, we'll talk about this in our third point, you must be wise about how you use the Bible and how you know the Bible and how you interpret the Bible. You must be wise about how you understand the confessions. You must, understand, you must be wise about how you understand and, and your understanding of, the, of church history and how things have gotten to where we are today. We must be wise. So it's hard. I don't deny that. There's been a lot of people out there that I've found compelling over the years, and I, then I realized what really drives the bus is something other than the gospel we must be aware of that. Does whatever your favorite preacher or teacher, the things that people compel us, does it, does it drive us to a higher view of the gospel, our dependency upon the gospel, our dependency upon Jesus, his sufficient work for us, that he will be the one who will usher in his new heavens and new earth, not you and me. He will be the one to do that. He causes us to be instruments in that, of course, but he calls us to do that. Is that our, where our hearts are lifted up to? A complete and utter dependency upon Christ or to be brought down lower to the horizontal level, be immersed in all of the things that happen here. Friends, beware. So here's the general flavor of a false teacher. They falsely claim divine authority or spiritual, I'm sorry, or superior cultural insight. They falsely claim divine authority, so they, they claim an authority over God's word, and usually one of the telltale signs of something is, how much have other people seen this? Is this so unique to this one person or this one select tribe that somehow or another that what they're saying actually reflects, is reflective of what we found in the historical witness of the church, the, the faith once delivered, always passed down throughout the ages? Or is this something that's fairly unique to this, these, these guys? Be careful. It says right there, in, uh, in, in, in this is where we're going to be finished centering most of our time here now, in chapter 13. In verse 2 and verse 3, let's read it. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination. They claim a spiritual authority, but who else is saying what they're saying? Who else is, who else is out there? It says in verse, keep on going. This is what the Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, yet have seen nothing. Oh, friends, be careful with this stuff. Thomas Brooks 
great English Puritan, wrote almost 400 years ago these words, false teachers easily pass over the great and weighty things of both law and gospel, but they stand most upon the things that are the least important concerns to the souls of men. Friends, beware of what excites you, what amplifies you, what energizes you about various teachers. And they can come, they can come in sheep's clothing. They can look like us. They can teach like us. They can, and we've got to be careful with these kinds of points. The point is very simple. When we are in times of crisis, as I mentioned above, we tend to look to the Bible to say more than the Bible says. And these false teachers know how to, know how to manipulate that. We like to go to the Bible and we want to go, well, God, what does your Bible, what does your word say about this crisis that we're in in our, in our moment right now? What does your Bible say about this? And of course the Bible has things to say to these things, but it doesn't, but, but we look to it and we begin to over-principalize it and we have a gospel plus approach to interpreting the Bible. Don't do that. That's not good hermeneutics. That's not good interpretation of scripture. It's, it's not that the Bible doesn't speak to these issues we face. It's more of we're not satisfied with what the Bible has to say to us. Jesus is not enough. If Jesus is enough, then we can remain steadfast in our exilic posture, both here in America, in Europe, in Russia, in China, in Brazil, or wherever else you find yourself. If your gospel posture is so Framed by your present moment circumstances, whether you're American or you are uh, a citizen of the United States or, or, or Russia or any other nation, friends, we've got to take good note of maybe, just maybe, we've accommodated the gospel to our own circumstances. Be careful with that. The good question to ask here, where are these ideas in the Bible? And are these Ideas, something that we've seen unpacked and unfolded in some way throughout church history. Many of the things that captivate men's souls are about 30 years old. Be careful with ideas that are made 30 or 50 years old. We can go into detail now another time. Friends, look, truth prophets know um, they have derived, uh, truth prophets know that they have derived authority from God's word only. They sit here. They don't add a bunch of stuff into it. They sit here. They let the Bible speak. And they're held accountable. They understand they're held accountable to it, not to subtract from it, nor add to it. It's a both end. We don't, we've got to be careful of this. False prophets are always a gospel plus, or maybe even a gospel minus approach to the Bible take away from the Bible or add to the Bible, and therefore we get a full teaching of the Bible, and that's really dangerous, really dangerous. No, we must preach the full counsel of God's Word and only that. Even if we're left hanging with a few questions about our present circumstances, every, every exile that Ezekiel was preaching to, and every elder that he was preaching to, and everyone who was in Daniel's council, the same season of life, same place, every church member who was in, um, uh, uh, where, where that, first, that Peter was speaking to in our study in 1 Peter, every one of them were left wondering, is there something special word God has for us in this moment? And what does Peter do? 
takes him back to the cross. He takes him back to Jesus. He takes him back to the one redemptive promise that runs from book into book into the Bible. The false prophets oftentimes bind consciences rather than let them live freely and conscientiously in the person and work of Jesus. They bind consciences. If you don't do this, if you don't have this conviction about that, if you don't, and this, and this runs on both sides of the fence here, okay? If you don't have enough passion about, you know, poor people, you don't have enough passion about, you know, cultural or ethnic issues, if you don't have enough passion about government, if you don't have enough passion about whatever issue, what is that? Isn't that not a, you're not really Christian. It's a new sacrament. You know what a sacrament is, right? A sacrament is, is, a, is a sign or a seal that you're part of the kingdom. And so if you, don't, if you don't give yourself to these new sacraments, you're not really God's people. It's a new fundamentalism. God gives us two sacraments. Baptism, a promise that God said you will be my people by faith. And the Lord's Supper, which says you will continue with my people until the end. That's the sacraments. Don't add all these extra sacraments to it. And this is a really problem, and I think it's in the evangelical culture that we have today. Don't be, have your conscience bound by all these new sacraments that, that every new leader wants to, to lay on your shoulders and along the church's shoulders, and they want to criticize and they want to counsel people because of these things. This is not helpful. We must know that God's judgment is sure for these kinds of actions. Believe that. Because it's, it's driven by a height of arrogance. I have the answers. If anyone just listens to me, if you just do this, you perform this pattern of works, you perform this actions, and you do, and you engage in this way, or you engage in that way, you'll be, you'll be okay. No. no. But they preach and teach messages that tickle our ears. Do they not? We said it earlier. Let's look at it from. Ezekiel's words. Let's just keep on reading here. Verse 4, the prophets of Israel, like jackals among ruins. You did not go up, to the um, go up to the gaps or restore the wall around the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They saw, the false, they saw false visions and their, div their divinations were a lie. They claimed this in the Lord's declaration. When the Lord did not send them, yet they wait for the fulfillment of their message so they're still waiting for the fulfillment of their message. They still believe this with all their heart. But God says, I didn't give them that message. I didn't give them that hope. I didn't make that the character of my people. That's not a character of my work of redemption. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Verse 8, you have, you have spoken falsely and have lying visions. That, that's why you discover that I am against you. This is the declaration of the Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and speak lying divinations, they will not be present in the council of my people or be recorded in the register of the house of Israel. Wow, that's an indictment. Who's he talking about there? The elect? These are people who pretend to be among the elect and they're saying all these, want these things. They're not part of God's people. and says they will not be recorded among my people. They will not enter the land of Israel. They, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Since they have led my people astray, verse 10, by saying peace when there is no peace, and since when a flimsy wall is being built, they plaster it with whitewash. Important detail here. 
Keep on going. Verse 11. Therefore tell those plastering with whitewash that it will fall. Torrential rain will come and I will send hailstones plunging down and a whirlwind will be released. And when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where's the whitewash you plastered on it? What's this whitewash? Whitewash is to take the gospel and just blank over it by distracting people with some new thing that looks nice. It's something that compels us. It's something that speaks on to our own context. When we whitewash something, we're, we're trying to give it a new picture, a new image, a new vision. And God says, I will not have that. My gospel, my work of redemption will not be whitewashed by these false preachers and their false divinations. They preach in their hearts as if it's God's word, but they, they just don't hear the truth of God's word. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. You don't have to turn there. i got it right here in my text. For the time is coming when people will endure sound teaching. So in case you think this is just a Ezekiel's day, just know this is in our day too. There will be a coming time when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers, listen to this, to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. So yes, there's, we tend to go, oh yeah, that's, that's true. We can see this. We can see the church capitulating to the culture and they, and they look for teachers who, who want to fit their own passions as it relates to sexuality in our culture. The church has just been too, too restrictive on that. So therefore, let's go find these guys. And that, yes, yes, yes. But the other side's alive and well too. We find teachers who fit our own passions. We wander off into myths as it relates to saving our country. I know that one sits hard, right? Because everyone in here that I know of in this room, just like myself, loves and appreciates our American tradition and wants to see it recuperate, wants to see it transcend. Whatever God has for this nation, it is not part of his redeeming plan. It's a situation post. It's a signpost for this moment. And we are there to endure and be a part of it, yes. And we are there to preach the gospel in it, yes. And we're there to show the world that, they, that, that what, what, the, what the good look of what it looks to follow God's law and God's ways and to obey him looks like, yes. But we must be very careful. We must be careful that we don't make that the mission of God. I said it last week, right? If God can't ever tell you you're wrong, but can always tell other people they're wrong, it may not be God and his word that you're trusting in. It may be your own. Maybe you've found your real God of your life. Church, let's not fall into these things. These leaders are often self-preserving. They're often insulated by people who protect their good nature and fame and you come out of the woodworks for their, their, their guy. Refuse. They refuse to be corrected. This is often, not always. R.C. Sproul says there's three common spheres of false teaching. I'll just give them to you briefly. Prosperity gospel, right? We see this kind of in the prophetesses. If you were to read on, I don't have time to read into it now. Prophetesses who were, had all these magic tricks that they were doing. God condemns them as well. And they had these special, you know, anointed... Items that God says, these are, what are you doing? 
That's what the prosperity gospel does. It just enamors us with all these like little tricks in a trade to the side, and it gets us all distracted from the gospel. We see this in a lot of the ministries, and again, not naming names, but let's name them again, like, you know, faith healers and word of faith healers, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, all these others. He says, another common sphere of false teaching is deism, when we just have this vague, undefined, definitionless God. They'll say things like Mother God and Spirit of God, or Spirit God, or Mother Earth, and I saw a tragic thing that was supposedly a Christian church last night on a video that that, that sent to me, and they were doing a confession, and it would look very substantial like some of the things we do here, but this confession was how God was the image of all the people who were represented in that room. That included all the different scopes and and ranges of people from their their sexual identity, their gender identity, to everything, and and they said this this God was in their image. That's Romans 2 right there, friends. Go read it. And we are easy to see these things, right? We can see prosperity gospel. We can see deism. We can see that, right? But again, I I speak to you as your pastor knowing that I know what we listen to, but are we aware of legalism and antinomianism? This is the third thing that that, that R.C. Sproul would say. There's always a new legalism that that arises. It's about works, about works of the law, and all these guys out there who are saying, if you don't do this, then you're not really part of the team. So you have legalism on the one side that says you want to add things to gospel. I've already mentioned this, but you have antinomianism. Okay, that's a big word. Let's talk about what that is. That means anti-law or no law, and therefore God has no range of obedience he requires of his people. And guys, both of these ranges are wrong. God doesn't add to his gospel for his people. No, he finishes the gospel for his people through his son Jesus. And he doesn't take away from his law on the other side and say there is no law. The law doesn't matter. No true gospel and true law work hand in hand together. So let's finish up here on our last third point here. This will kind of help us land the plane here in a couple minutes, in a few minutes. What are some markers then for us that will help us stay on, allow us to work out true biblical discernment? Well, I've got a few. Do you know your Bible? I mean, really know your Bible? Or do you just recapitulate whatever your favorite preacher says? I have had lots of people come in this church over the years, and they ask me questions about our church's stance on this, that, or the other. And, and when I begin to inspect this, I will say, okay, well, tell me how you've, how you've arrived at that biblically, theologically, hermeneutically, whatever. And it's usually like, well, this is what my pastor said, or this pastor said that I listened to his radio station. For, I've been listening to this guy for 30 years. Look, that guy could be very, very faithful, faithful, but he's not Jesus and he's not the Word of God. I'm asking you, do you know your Bibles? Do you have a biblical, theological literacy about you? Study the real thing, not the counterfeit. Study the real thing. And I'm not just saying study it in our own moment. Study it as we see it unlived out in the church history and how the church fathers and how the reformers and all these pure and the Puritans, how they all embrace and how they approach Scripture. They didn't, lord, they didn't read over Scripture. They, read, they like lived under Scripture and let Scripture come up and see what it needed to be said. That's what good scriptural teaching and hermeneutics are all about. Second, we need to know our idols. If we're going to have discernment, you and I need to know ourselves 
better than sometimes we often think we do. There's a pride in my experience, and I'm speaking to my life, and I bet it's true of you, that the most, those who claim to be most discerning are the ones who are the most blind to their idols. Yes? The ones who claim to be the most discerning are sometimes the ones who are most blind to their own idols. Pride comes before the fall, right? So there's a whole host of idols. Pride, comfort, politics, identity, cultural acceptability, say the right thing or else be canceled, be accepted by the right tribe, look for approval. You notice all these things are the... All of these different idols are the same drug but a different supplier. Right? Do you know your idols? Third, do you know the importance of repentance and faith? That is the Christian life. Martin Luther said it on, on the theses here October, guys. It's, it's, it's Protestant Reformation Month. It's not Halloween Month. It's Protestant Reformation Month. Let's get it right. Go read the theses that, that were nailed to the Wittenberg door. And the very first statement, it says, faith and repentance are the Christian life. All of the Christian life is faith and repentance. Do you know the importance of that in your own life? The ones who grow the most are the ones who understand how to repent. They understand how to identify their idols. They understand how to live in transparency. They understand how to be humble about what's being confronted in their lives. And then they know how to turn to Jesus. See, that's what faith is. Faith is a turning from and a turning to. So repentance and faith cannot be separated. If your Christian life is not shaped by faith and repentance and shaped by some other thing, let me tell you, friends, we are off the reservation. So know your Bible, know your idols, know the importance of repentance and faith, and last, this, my friends, I'm going to take us to verse 11 in chapter 14 for this one, okay? And I know I've scanned over this. I trust that you'll read this on your own. Know the good news that keeps you. Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 4. In fact, I'm just going to read through this. Actually, these, these points come directly from, or some of these points come from uh, chapter 14. Let's just read verses 1 through 6 and then verse 11. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I actually let them inquire of me? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. When anyone from the house of Israel sets up idols in his heart and puts them, his sinful stumbling block in front of himself and then comes, comes, to the, I'm sorry, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him appropriately. I will answer him according to his many idols. A man who dares to come to the Lord will first be met with God saying, do you know your idols? So that I may take hold of the house of Israel by their hearts. They are all estranged from me because of their idols. So what is, what is Ezekiel saying here? He's saying, know your idols. Why? Because that's the first thing God's going to deal with with his people. You know why? Because, if he loose, because when he loses us from our idols, he gets our hearts. That's how God deals with his people. Faith and repentance is about God loosing us from our idols and taking, taking hold of our hearts. 
In verse 6 then, Therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the Lord God says, Repent and turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from all your detestable things. So you see where I got my points from, right? That last point is still very important because it's the object of our faith. Know the good news that keeps you. Let's keep reading verse 11. In order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves with all their transgressions, then they will, they will be my people and I will be their God. That has been God's promise from the very beginning. I will have a people for myself and I will be their God. That is the object of your faith. The object of your faith is God who says, you're mine, I will be your God, and I will do whatever, all of everything it takes for you to be my people. And that includes the sending of his son, Jesus. He does it all. It includes the one day forever home we'll live in forever. It's not ours to claim, it's Jesus's to bring on his father's behalf. This is where God calls us to. So with that said, we're going to come to the table. We're going to conclude our time as we do every week at the table. And I'm asking you to come this morning not as people who need to clean yourselves up before you come, but as people who have a, a fixation on the person and work of Jesus and so that you come here and your total dependency is on who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And to whatever degree, you're, when you come here, you're coming by faith and you're saying... Jesus, you're enough. All these other things are just mere distraction. Yeah? Let's pray. God, help us this morning as we finish our time together and we come to the table. Your people are delight to come to your table, not because we are worthy to come to your table. Oh, Lord, you know that's not true. But we have been made worthy to come to your table because of the work of your son, Jesus. And this table is a meal that the Lord, you, Lord God, have shared with your people. And we are to take of it, eat of it in faith that we are included in that final people. When you come back and you bring this glorious new home for your people, and we will live in faith, and we will live in repentance, and we will do everything in our power through the work of the Holy Spirit to expose our idols and live in trust and faith in that until that day comes. Help us now, Lord, as we prepare for this table. In Christ's name.